0: Hi, I'm Ben
1: and I'm Katie and welcome to 360 View.
0: This is where we explore a broad range of ideas on all things affecting your body, your wellness and your mind.
2: All right, welcome guys. Happy Saturday. I'm here with uh, Katie and Ben from 360 View and Vivid Movement and Performance. Uh, out in Emerald there, which is a great setup, and you've built an awesome little studio there for your 360 view podcasts and and videos, which are awesome. I'd highly recommend to anyone that um, you know has wants to to listen to you know all things health. All right, we've got a heap of questions here, guys. This has um, been been a popular little exercise. We've got about ten or eleven questions, which is great. So I'll I'll throw the question up, and you guys um, fight over who wants to answer it, if you. <laughs> Or you've got it sorted for who's answering what? In most cases, it usually ends up being a team exercise. Team effort. Oh, nice teamwork. Great. Okay, so the first question we've got is how many days a week should you do HIIT training? It's so a high intensity interval training.
1: Um, the first thing to go through with your hip training is differentiating between normal cardio and then true high-intensity interval training. So with our true HIIT training, it is a very high-intensity bout of exercise, and then we follow that up with a very decent amount of rest. So we want an extended rest period there. Um, what we generally find is that People doing 30 seconds of work, 30 seconds of rest for like 40 minutes or something is not necessarily true high-intensity interval training. Um, In terms of how many days a week of true high-intensity training, we're looking at about a maximum of two days a week because that's all that your body can realistically recover from for a general day-to-day exercise or just our general population movement.
0: Yeah, because normally we find a lot of high-intensity stuff. What happens is people are able to just generally get into a nice, good, moderating level of um, output. So they end up being able to moderate that output for that amount of time. So we want to make sure that in that high-intensity interval training it's actually repeatable and you're able to actually hit the numbers that we should be doing all the time. So we're looking for a good, nice bit of rest and we're looking for that heart rate fluctuation. It's no good just being able to get that heart rate to one set time or amount of output and then just maintaining that for 30 minutes. We're actually making sure we want to see that high and recovery so being able to come in and out of those zones make sure that you're able to do that and maintain it
1: Yeah, any more than two days a week you generally mm-hmm. tend to see your body starting to break down so either you'll find that you're more fatigued throughout the week or you'll find you get like niggles and injuries and little things in your body that aren't feeling right um we want more of a balanced style of training so with your low intensity cardio so like you're walking you're swimming your bike riding stuff that's going to be softer on your body as well as your resistance and your strength training generalized cardio and then you hit training in there as well so it's better to do a balance of it instead of being so set on one on
2: one component yeah so that echoes what Glenn from Vector Health was talking about this morning um you know just the importance of that recovery so it's great um you know to hear you guys sort of echo that which is good yeah
0: and because also to find that as you move through it if you're doing so many sessions of it you'll find that you're okay usually at the beginning of the week and then if you keep upping the amount of times you do at the end of the week, you'll actually feel more fatigued and you'll find that your output is really bad. So you're really not getting any benefit from the stuff at the end of the week, which where if you're feeling worse, you should actually probably go into some more um, higher resistance or some sort of strength stuff where your body can stay lower and you're just looking for some sort of stresses on those muscles.
2: Yeah, Yep. Yeah, cool. All right, next question. What... It's the best way to build muscle.
1: So with our muscle, we start off with how your muscle is actually built and what we need to do to build it. Um, your muscle is built because your body is adapting to a stress response that you have put on your body. So our bodies are amazing at adapting. They're meant to make things easier for us and they're meant to adapt so that our life becomes easier. So by us putting some form of stress on our muscle, then it adapts so that the next time that we do those things and as we repetitively do them, it becomes easier and easier. Therefore, by us getting stronger and putting on muscle, it makes our lives easier for us because your body doesn't know how to distinguish between um, structured exercise as opposed to something that you're doing in day-to-day life. So then with that, the best way that we can do it is resistance training. So putting some kind of load and intensity on that muscle, so an external load, and we're moving through it.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the biggest thing is to make sure that you're able to track this stuff So being able to go through it and either look for some sort of periodization as far as you're doing increased reps or sets or increased load on the body rather than just sort of going into the gym and hitting five plates on the leg press machine because you've done that every time for the last three months. You want to make sure that as you go through, you're able to increase it. Make sure you're either increasing the reps or you're increasing the sets as far as what you're doing and the load that's being put on there. So... Biggest thing is to make sure that you're tracking it and not just ending up doing this randomized sort of programming where you don't really know where you're going. So being able to build that is being able to look back and in the past and seeing what you've done and then know that as you track through that, you're trending into an upward direction, putting some more stress on, giving yourself that recovery and then being able to make sure that you're getting that overcompensation happening and being able to build in the next one.
1: And then also with that, we know that protein is something that you're really big on, Chris, which is amazing for Mm. the challenges to have that constantly reiterated that it's so important. Your muscle can't build without adequate levels of protein and it can't maintain. Same thing with your calorie deficit and surplus. Generally, any form of sleep deprivation, excess stress in your life, a calorie deficit that can also um, put some stress on the body, positive stress but still some form of stress your body doesn't actually want to build muscle very much when it's in that state unless we really really focus on it so in that stress state muscle is a liability so it's an active tissue meaning that you need so much nutrients and nutrients and supplies to feed those muscles so then if you're not getting Um, all of those nutrients and supplies in your body's not going to build muscle because it's deemed as like dangerous it can't maintain that whereas your fat is an asset to your body because your body can use it when you don't have enough nutrients there which is then why we're in a deficit and then your body uses fat and you lose fat um, as you've explained so many times before, but yeah, that protein intake is so important for people building muscle. And we know we've had even with people scanning so much resistance around it that I'm just like trying to get in, or I'm eating one with protein a day, um, but I build muscle. So it's really important, yeah, just to echo what you normally talk about with that and make sure that people are.
2: That's right. Like if you can if you can preserve muscle while in a calorie deficit, it's a great result. You know, but you want to preserve it. You don't you don't want to be eating into the muscle. Yeah, that's good. All. all right. Next question. Um we've got what is the best uh what's the best exercise options for people with polycystic ovary syndrome? Um, so
1: people with the polycystic ovary syndrome, two things are really um normally across the board with this is insulin resistance is massive and an excess of testosterone are both really, really common um, results of having your PCOS. Um, With it, the best thing that you can do is aiming for 30 minutes of movement every day of the week, so seven days a week, 30 30 minutes of movement. So that movement we really, really want to mix up between a variety of things. So number one, again, would be a low-impact exercise so you're walking and you're swimming everything like that is really really good and can even help with some of the pain that you can have associated with um, the syndrome Um, and it helps ease that really important is your core work maintaining that and some body balance work so making sure that your muscles are functioning as they should it improves your posture it improves your core stability which is then going to help with the things like lower back pain that again can be associated with it then from there, we do want to incorporate strength as well as general conditioning. Um, and if you're feeling up to it, and if you build up to it, then eventually that high intensity interval training—just a mix of thirty days of any uh, thirty minutes of any one of these over your seven days.
2: Yeah, yeah. So exercise is huge for improving insulin sensitivity, of which PCOS, like you said, is an insulin resistant condition. The, the research that's come out in recent times around time restricted eating is actually really important for this. So there's a there was a um, a study that highlighted demonstrated with fasting now not just fasting for anyone that watched the fasting webinar it was time restricted eating in daylight hours so eating in line with our circadian rhythms and so none, none of this late night eating and they they found that. Um, those with PCOS, uh, there was a 50 50% of them started to ovulate at um, through this 12-week period with time-restricted eating, versus 15 or 20% for the control group. So th- there's some evidence there around fasting as well.
1: Absolutely. And then with that, when you are working around the fasting, it's massive trial and error for you. Like there are general recommendations, but mm. like trial and error in terms of what your body can cope with what it can function with and what makes you feel better so it's all about going through and tracking how you're feeling because a lot of how we feel is so subjective we need to then have that written down so that you're not um being influenced by how you feel at the time if you tried one style of movement for a week and you felt amazing then the next week you do a different style and you feel terrible often when you feel terrible over here then that's impacting How you think of the previous week, even though you felt good. So it's important to trial it for, say, a minimum of two to three weeks with one type. Monitor how you feel, track it down, um, write down how you're feeling, how your energy levels are, how your pain levels are, and all of your symptoms, so that then we can go. And when you try something else, we have that data to realize that feeling is a massive thing, but we've written it down so that it is in the moment how that's gone for you.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah ends up being a big journaling thing for yourself as you go along. Uh, The thing is to try and make sure that you're able to track up yourself because it's not a cookie-cutter thing. It's something that as you go through yourself, you're experiencing through your own body because everyone's not exactly the same. So we want to make sure that you are able to transfer that throughout your life and throughout your day-to-day and not getting caught up in the whole thing of the whole more is better doing more exercise or doing more time or doing things like that, it's better is better. So choosing things that are better for you that you're finding are working better for mm-hmm. you rather than doing an increased amount of
2: volume of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's great advice. Yeah, because there is that mentality where they've just got to go and flog themselves thinking that that's the answer and it's just not sustainable, is it? do yeah. can't
1: do that for the rest of your life, not at all
2: well you can but it won't be a long life (laughs) you'll burn out (laughs) uh all right next question what's your top tips to stay motivated throughout the challenge this is a good one because you guys um have had quite a few people that train with you guys there at vivid um you know rank up in the top you know three two three people so there's you always um tend to represent someone out there so what what tips have you got to keep people motivated through the challenge
1: The number one we would have is working out why you're doing the challenge in the first place and then how we can create this change sustainably. We can use the challenge to break habits that you might have that weren't ideal and then how we can maintain those habits post challenge as well. Um, So the reason why you're doing it and the motivation why is huge. We have to realize that motivation is temporary. It's the thing that gets us kick-started. Then our reason why, our purpose and our determination is the thing that actually continues us through. Because your motivation isn't going to last you for four weeks. Motivation is only going to last when things are easy and when you're excited about it and there's that little spark of like, oh, this is new and I'm seeing a little bit of a change on the scales and that's exciting. What we need to realize is that there's a bigger reason behind what you're doing and that's different for everyone and the best thing that you can do is go through a process there as to first you find that first reason as to why you think you're doing it and then you ask yourself now why is that important. Now, why is that important? Now, why is that important? If you do that seven times and you step down seven times as to why is that important, you're going to come to this root answer as to why you're actually doing this and the reason behind it and what you're wanting to achieve. Now, every time something gets tough throughout the challenge and you might be tempted by something or you're feeling a little bit tired, your energy's a little bit lower, you come back to this reason why and all of a sudden, that's your new drive, like that's your drive to get you through. And even though it might be tough, you're able to push through that and to get to that next level because it's not just relying on how you're feeling as to be whether you can do it or not. That's my biggest
0: thing. Yes. And the thing is, is, is probably you can actually write this down. So as Katie said, is it stepping through those systems of finding what's actually going to keep you driven for the whole time and also through our life. Because the biggest thing is, as you've done with your information, Chris, and sharing it, is making sure people can take learnings out of this and move forward and go through themselves and know what it is that keeps them driven for the rest of their life to make sustainable changes. So the biggest thing is, is that is if you need to write it down, is have it written either if it's a reminder or something that you said in your phone that pops up once a week that says the whole reason why you're doing what you're doing. You may not necessarily need it all the time, but sometimes it can just be that little trick that pops up as a reminder that comes into your phone or something that says, hey, I'm doing this so that in 10 years I can still play with my kids. Or be able to be active and get out and do something where my mate tells me, let's do a 5K run, a 5K fun run next weekend. And you don't necessarily need to think about, I need to do 5 five months of training to be able to do 5K running or or 5K moving. You want to make sure that you can do that stuff and be able to get out and be active. So so that's a big thing is making sure that you've got something that's post your challenge Mm -hmm. is to make sure it's sustainable for you as well. And that's the biggest thing is to keep you motivated and um, and know that you've got a drive to get to the end.
1: Because that flows on to our internal and external motivation as well, like our intrinsic and extrinsic as well. So we have that motivation, that reason why, Like when Ben's saying write down and step it out, it's so that you can really, really think about it and discover what this actual reason why is because it's a little bit different when you just say it in your head to when you write it down on paper.
0: And even sharing it with someone, sharing it with your partner or someone in your family or something saying, hey, because actually when it gets written down and verbalized to someone else is getting someone that's actually keeping you accountable for what you've decided to do. Whereas Able, when it ends up being internalised, is just to turn around and go, I missed my challenge or I didn't do as well as I thought or I just fell off the bandwagon. You can do keep that to yourself and no one else knows it. Whereas if you've actually externalised and given it a, a words, talked to your partner about it, it actually gives someone else that says, hey, didn't you do this challenge so that next month we can go on a holiday and we can do skydiving or we could do rock climbing together? Isn't that why you've done this? So whereas you can keep it to yourself, it sort of fall by the wayside and no one really knows why.
1: Yeah, and by keeping it to yourself, we see a lot of people do that. They don't want to tell people that they're doing a challenge or they don't want to say that they're doing this new exercise program because there's this whole fear of failure surrounding it. Whereas the more that you can find your reason why, you can discover that and then you can share that, that then again keeps you motivated but it also um makes it part of your world and it makes it part of these people and these people are aware of what you're doing so now they're not going to press you as much with maybe having that piece of cake or going out for this instead it might be more like a let's catch up and go for a walk let's do something active because you've made this part of your world so that they're aware of what that reason is and it's giving you a reason that is more than just losing weight that might be your initial motivation but your reason why behind it it's more than that. You might want to lose weight because you want to go skydiving with your partner, because you want to be able to play with your kids, because you want to be able to do something else. It's just a little bit more, and you just need to dig a little bit deeper.
2: Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that. Like uh, a couple of challenges ago, we done a survey about what what was the hardest thing for people with losing weight or going through the challenge, and what the motivators were, and. The overarching theme was that it was about, you know, increasing energy levels and and having confidence. You know, the the number on the scales is just a, a parameter that's measured along the way to feel better. And i will actually tomorrow's webinar is on habit formation, and it actually focuses quite heavily on motivation because it's it's a link in the chain for creating a habit is motivation, but it's also the weakest link. And so, you know, mo- motivation will come when the situation you're in right now is worse than actually doing something mm-hmm. and this is what this this is why with weight loss it changes because let's say you drop five or ten kilos all of a sudden that situation is better than having to get out of the bed and go to the gym and eat healthy and so our weight just goes like this and so yeah like Um, I'll I'll go into depth around this and then just about how we we move on from it and then try and rely less on motivation. But what you guys are saying is spot on in terms of writing it down or or I'm a big visual person. I, I try and get people to, you want to picture your future self. And there's actually a name for this in the science called episodic future thinking. Now it sounds fancy, but the best way to think about it is people's wedding day. They can picture themselves in the future at a, look that they want to be and quite often they can drop a lot of weight for that day or a school reunion and so writing it down and visualizing it is doing that you're doing that episodic future thinking where you're actually pitching yourself in the future and so for a challenge you've got a four-week challenge you it's it's really like we, we intentionally keep it short to keep your attention but it's also an opportunity to prove what you can do in four weeks you know, So if you can picture something in four weeks and then achieve it and get some momentum, then, um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty good knock-on for what you can then do post-challenge. Yeah, yeah awesome.
1: Because, like you say, that's those two ways that motivate people. You're either motivated to get away from something or you're motivated to getting towards something. It's that whole push-pull motivation. Are you being pulled towards a goal or are you being pushed out of where you are at the moment and the further you get away if you're working on that push motivation from getting away from something that's painful or hurts you or something like that the further you get away from that thing you get just out of view of that hurting as much it's like a fire the further you get away the less hot it gets you get just out of that view of it being so hot and then you forget about how hot it actually was so it's easy to then collapse back into that because pulled towards anything and just being pushed away as long as you get pushed away but it's not so uncomfortable anymore then it's
2: easy to fall back into the fire yeah a hundred percent yeah it's pleasure and pain you know we're we're moving away from one towards another that's the the gist of the human psyche isn't it so yeah to, to answer that person's question it's it's you know tap into why you want to do it what what's the future of you look like um and you know what do you got to do to get there? And essentially it's pretty much, you know, healthy eating, exercise, uh, getting good sleep. Um, You know, we we put up a cash prize as a motivator, but that's an extrinsic motivator like you were talking about, Kate. It's an external, which will get people moving, but it's the internal that will keep the momentum going for you. Yeah. Cool. Um, All right. Time poor. How can you help people with fitting exercise and food prep in when they have a busy life? creating new habits. Yeah. Um, yours, Katie?
1: So you've probably heard what we're about to say 100,000 times before, yeah. but we're going to repeat it anyway and hopefully in a different way that may resonate. Um, so first, everyone has the same amount of hours in the day. It's how you prioritise it. Um, when you're looking at prioritising exercise and you're saying that you have no time or that you're time poor, I would ask you how many times you've told yourself that you have no time or that you're time poor. Is that a belief that's playing over in your head that then you're reinforcing? Because the more, time you, the more times that you tell yourself, I have no time, I'm time poor, I'm too busy for that, I'm a very busy person, then that's just going to re that so that every time you try and do something in your head, you're going to say, I'm too busy for that, I don't have the time for that. When really what you should say to yourself is that it's not a priority. So instead of saying I don't have time, say it's not a priority for me because you will have time for everything that you prioritise. To prioritise exercise, food preparation, anything like that when you have a busy life, number one is scheduling it in. Um, So how do you go about scheduling? I schedule. you had a good tip before.
0: So the biggest thing that I find as well is, is with doing this is... It's more about giving you a thought about yourself helping others. So in other words, what needs to happen as well is you need to prioritise yourself to be able to then help others. It's no good if after a while you've run yourself down so far that now all the people that are uh, they need you in their life or they need you to do something or you're helping them or you're wanting to help them is it's no good if you're run down so far that you're not able to help them. So seeing exercise and food prep and looking after your diet and your sleep habits and stuff like that is looking after yourself in other words being able to give yourself a hundred percent so that you can give others a hundred percent as well is to make sure that you can see that as an external influencer as well as far as helping other people so the biggest thing is if you can't try and trigger this to make it a priority for you then in a roundabout way it's got to be a priority to help others as well
1: how can you make it a value Like, how can you attach it to a value you already have? So if you're seeing exercise at the moment as getting getting in the way of you spending time with your kids or spending time on your career or something like that, how can you then tie it to that thing? So for example, if you exercise, you're generally going to have more energy, you're going to be happy, you're going to be able to run faster and be less injured and you're going to be able to do more fun things, you then tie that to your family, you're able to have more fun with your family and be more present with them because you have more energy. All of a sudden you've connected those two values and it's going to be much easier to do. Mm -hmm. Same thing with your work, you're generally more productive and you're less busy because you're more productive of a daytime when you do that. So by you taking half an hour to an hour time out every day, just for some kind of movement, it doesn't have to be structured exercise, but some kind of movement, you're then going to attach that as more productivity for your work. So you value work very much over exercise at the moment. So we just need to attach that exercise or that health habit, onto a value that you already have, so that then you can link it to how it's gonna improve your life. Because if you think of exercise as a punishment, and you think of it something that's gonna hurt you, or something that you really don't like, you're not not gonna do it, you're gonna book it in, and we're gonna say book it in as an appointment that you can't cancel, it's a priority in there, and that never gets moved, then you're going to move it every single time because you don't see it as something that's helping you.
2: What gets scheduled gets done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and the thing, Chris, is trying to schedule it in your
0: week. So even if during this time you're scheduling three sessions a week for yourself, three half hour sessions on Monday, Wednesday and Friday, just say to say it's a non-negotiable at seven o'clock in the morning is my best time I'm going to prioritise then knowing that that's a non-negotiable and being able to set a time to do that because we know if you've scheduled it, it's the same as scheduling to go to work. We know the time we have to start. We know when we've got to be at work. We know when other people are depending on us. This is time for you to schedule for yourself to depend on yourself.
1: Mm -hmm. So if you have half an hour in the morning, set a timer for half an hour if you're not going to a gym or something like that. Classes Mm -hmm. are good because they give you a start and finish time. But if you're doing it by yourself, set your timer for half an hour and move for half an hour. If you have 15 minutes, set your time for 15 minutes and
2: do what you can in 15 minutes. Yeah. I, I, something that helped me with this a few years ago now is an app called Lifecycle. Have you guys ever heard of that? No, I haven't. So Lifecycle lets you audit your day because, yes, we've all got 24 hours, but some people have got to jam a hell of a lot more into it than others. So the thing is, like, you, you can like, it takes a little bit to set up, but you do an audit and it'll track you. Like it'll, and then you can like um, tag it so it knows where you were at certain times. And uh, using satellite things, it can actually tell you where you're spending your time over a 24 hour period and, you know, do it for a couple of weeks. And it, it was an eye opener for me because I could see, like, you know, I was busy, busy, busy. I was busy being busy, you know, so like. Once I could work out, I've got plenty of time to fit this stuff in, you know, the arguments with me in my head, it it was with no one else. It was more like, I really do have time. I've just got to schedule it. And so, you know, there might be days where um, I I can't exercise for as long as I want, but like an exercise is not my field of expertise, but what I'd suggest to people there is at least do something five minutes. You know, there's, there's 1,440 minutes in a day. If you can do five minutes and get your heart rate up, the momentum upstairs is really, and and that's how I see exercise for me. It's like an antidepressant. You know, if I do something, I feel good and that helps me keep going. Um, So, yeah, but that advice around scheduling it in is critical because particularly the food side of it, if you can plan what you're eating for the week, you'll save time. How much time do you waste each night coming home from work going, what's for dinner? Oh, I need to get ingredients. I need to blah, 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 you know. And so if you put a half an hour aside on a Sunday, I don't know, have a beer with your wife and sit down and plan your week out, um, you will make up that half an hour in spades through the week by not coming home going, oh, I need to go and get groceries for this and, and wondering what to eat or, worst case, going and get te- takeaway, which is, you know, what we do if we don't have food, if we haven't planned, we're like, oh, let's just get pizza or something, you know, like it happens. So, yeah, planning is and scheduling is great advice there, I reckon.
0: And then it can also turn
2: into, as far
0: as a money saving, like you're saying, Chris, about mm-hmm. going shopping and doing that on the weekend, picking that day, knowing what you're doing for the whole week, and then doing that rather than having to eat out lunchtime. Or People, we know everyone goes to the smoko van or to the truck or something that comes past or on the way past, we swing past and grab something for lunch or whatever. Whereas if you actually got that sorted, it's probably less stress on on you worrying what you're going to have for lunch because you know that you've got yourself sorted for the days, and by all means, I've done it as well. I've made my lunches and got everything sorted for the whole week and then come to Wednesday and gone, I just don't think I can eat that on a Wednesday again or what I've scheduled myself to eat for lunch, and that's fine, take a break. The thing is, you've got that there, you know it's in the back of your mind, you're not going to get caught where you have that choice. I know I've done it as well. We go to the supermarket hungry and we just end up grabbing everything that I shouldn't eat. And I've got it suddenly in my trolley and all of the reason I get to the checkout, I'm like, why am I buying this stuff? It's because I'm hungry now. And I think I'm just going to eat it and I can eat all these
1: calories right think away. think that you need it, like, yeah. so badly. There is, like, it's non-negotiable when you're hungry. All those things
2: are yeah. oh. Anything can be justified when you're hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And what you said earlier, I I don't know if it was Katie or Ben, but I I advocate people to either train with someone or sign up to a a class or a gym because time-wise, well, this is me personally, I fluff around and I end up wasting (laughs) time. If I'm not, so I I go and train with a mate at his house. He lives a K away. He's on the clock. You know, if I'm late, I'm letting him down. But if it's me, it takes me way longer to do it by myself just because, I, yeah, I don't have that driver to get it done.
1: Oh, we know the same thing. Yeah, we we do the same. But also if we, like a lot of the times training by ourselves, we'll generally drag a training session out for an hour to two and a half hours because our time (laughs) management doing ourselves is just not there. Whereas if we do it fast. Hour, yeah. you start at six, you finish at seven, and you're
0: done. And we're just procrastinating on exactly what we can decide on to do because we may and not want to do what's happened for the day, but we've worked around how we can do what else we can have.
1: And you walk around and you chat for a little bit, and oh, I forgot my water, and then I need to do this, and what about this, and oh, let's chat about that instead
2: of
1: <laughs> one to four. We do the same we thing. We do the same thing. Exactly. Oh, same
2: thing. that's good to know. That's comforting. It's not just me being lazy. <laughs> Uh okay, next question is exercising the most be- is exercising most beneficial done in the morning or afternoon evening before bed?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, for your exercise, the best time is the time that you can get it done and you can stick to.
0: <laughs> no good yeah, it's no good setting this up as us saying it's way better to do that in the morning, you know like before after you get up or before you get up, like get up. And then before you have breakfast go and do your exercise or whatever if that's not planable for you then it's no good ending up saying that this is the best beneficial time to do it because if that's not the time that you can allocate to it then that's no good and you're just not going to do it you'll do it for a week and then go that's really bad i'm so tired by the end of the week and then that's not a habit that you can create and maintain so the biggest thing is to try and first decide the time that you're going to be able to allocate as a non-negotiable like we said before in your week and know that that's your schedule and you know you're going to be able to stick to it because that's the time you have allocated. So the biggest thing is is around your timing and the scheduling that you can end up fitting in.
1: In terms of movement then, if we were to then dive into now that we've got that side covered of when you can do it is the best time for you, how your body feels. Generally, as people um, start to get a little bit older, um, bodies need a little bit more warming up. We find that some people used to train in the mornings and they used to train in the mornings because it set them up for a good day they had plenty of energy and there was no distractions in the morning they then find that training in the afternoon is better because they've had the entire day to move around to warm up and generally in the afternoon it's that bit warmer so that their bodies function that little bit better and everything feels looser when they go to squat or press everything's moving better Whereas in the morning, they would need, instead of 15 minutes to warm up, they might need 25 minutes to warm up properly and make sure everything's primed and mm. just because of how their body needs to function. So that's and another to get,
0: yeah, And to get the benefit out of it, we found yeah. that people in the morning, sometimes we've still only got an hour. Like you said before, if you've allocated an hour to go for your class, then we know that. We end up having to take more time early in the morning to get people warmed up, and they take a lot longer to get going. So sometimes your effort put into your training is actually lower because you know that you're quite and everything's sort of not working properly. So you're not necessarily going to hit your percentages or your number or the effort's not going to be there, is because your body's not feeling like it's ready to go.
2: Yeah, then- yeah, right.
1: We just want to move people out of the mindset that they need to be feeling like they're in peak form mm. to actually exercise. Like we've said, we're aiming for movement every day, some form of movement, whatever that may be, whether it's structured, unstructured, walking, high intensity, it could be anything. Generally, if you're feeling lower energy, do something that's a lower impact on your body. It's a little bit slower and it requires less focus. So really low skill, really low load, Um, just general movement, so like you're walking, you're swimming, you're bike riding, maybe a gentle jog, um, any kind of recovery, yoga, meditation, something like that. Then we move into when you have a little bit more energy, your body's feeling a bit fresher. You might then go into your high-intensity interval training, your weightlifting, your strength work, more of your hypertrophy stuff, um, any skill work that you may need because you do have that higher—not um, just body feeling, but also that mental function—so that you can attack that task a little bit
2: better. It's so good to hear that because this is me. Like if I've done a big session, you know, and I'm and I'm sore and. Like, really, I should just go for a walk or a swim or something. But in my head, I'm like, I deserve the whole day. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I'm too sore. You know, whereas I, I – there's no excuse, is there? I, I still can move. Like, it's not like I'm bedridden. I, I can still just go and do something as long as I'm not, you know, overdoing it really.
0: And sometimes do that because is if you've done something in the morning on one day – and then your body has rolled up in the next morning when you wake up as being sore, and you are very sore. It's potentially that day is time for you to train in the afternoon. So maybe you've trained in the morning on Monday, and then your body's felt really hit by Tuesday morning. And you know when the alarm goes off, and you're going to train early in the morning. You wake up and everything feels sore. That's probably the day for you to change and go to training in the afternoon or the evening purely because now we've actually increased you another 12 to 14 hours before you're going to train again. So the whole idea now is to be able to give you a little bit more recovery if you're actually feeling beat down. So you're actually going to get, in effect, you're still going to train every day but potentially now we're actually giving you 24 to 36 hours to tr- to recover. You know, you're moving your recovery a so that's going to now give you the whole day to move around get everything pliable get everything going and then maybe that night is as you move you know that you feel a little bit more human rather than feeling so beat down and fragile that you can't do anything
2: yeah yeah right yeah that's good okay no excuses anymore you have talked me out of being lazy okay next question best time for exercise when on a fasting plan so this person's fasting until midday
1: yeah. What's your so advice? if you're fasting until midday um, when you're fasting we don't want to do it depends what your fasting window is first if you're fasting from 6pm at night until midday or are you fasting from 9 or 10 until midday those 4 hours are going to make a massive difference on how you feel um so something that you want to work on is in that period before midday, if you are going to be exercising in that period, we really don't want to get your heart rate over 50 to 70% of its max. Um, we don't want to do that because it should be a little bit lower intensity for you. Your muscles um, can't quite function like they should, and we're not going to get that meal after it. So if you're exercising at 6 a.m. and then you're fasting until 12 p.m., please keep in mind that there's been no proven benefits to fasted exercise. So you're not going to get better results by exercising at 6 a.m. and fasting until 12. If anything, you're going to be risking a little bit of muscle for yourself. So if you were going to exercise in that fasted period, either low-intensity, low-impact, Otherwise, if you're training at 11 a.m., then you want to be fasted until midday and you want to be eating directly after you're training then. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to
0: add to that? Yeah, so my thoughts as well as with this fasting stuff is depending on what sort of training you're actually doing. So are you going for a strength bias training where you actually need more storage for stuff in your muscles because you know you're trying to build? Or are you actually going for a cardio or something that's going to end up being beneficial with you aerobically and looking for something that's going to be a long term as far as longer exercise sort of window. So my thoughts around best time for exercise when you're doing a fasting plan is I would look at trying to do my training at the end of when I've eaten. So my, so my eating window would end up being when I would do my strength training. So around that time towards the end of that or directly into at the end of it would be where I would do my strength stuff. And what I would do with when I was actually looking for something sort of a little bit higher heart rate and probably looking at burning and getting into those 70 to 80% sort of ranges or 70% like Katie said, we don't want to get above that too much because actually you're risking muscle loss through that is when you're burning too much and we get our heart rate too high because your body's going to be looking for the easiest fuel it can grab so it's looking for the easiest stuff it can grab and try and burn with that so the biggest thing is then is to look at doing it as more a lower intensity but i'm still looking for getting my cardio stuff or my fat burning stuff in that range before i'm going to eat so at the end of my fasting window just before i'm ready to start eating or my strength stuff is at the end of when I've eaten or I'm actually full, and I've been doing that. So I've eaten and I've built up all my, um, all my glycogen, all my levels, everything's come back up again, I've been fueling, is to then do my strength stuff and then move to the other window for your um, your longer stuff.
2: Yeah, great advice there. Like I think you're 100% with the length of the fasting window being important because muscle breakdown... Um, like excluding the physical activity side for a sec, what they call gluconeogenesis where there, um, is like, uh, what are we talking, 14 hours on average is going to be different for certain people and you're speeding that up through mm. exercise. So if you're um, doing anything that's particularly high intensity um, and you know engaging the muscle, you'd want to keep that pretty close to when you're going to then replace the muscle with protein in the diet. Um, so yeah, I, I'd agree. But the, the other thing there as well, you know, we're all made differently. I, I would recommend regular body scans. You know, if you're if you've adopted a certain pattern and it's obvious then through fortnightly or monthly scans that you're stripping too much muscle for you know what your what your goal is um, set out to be, then you've got to change something. You know, because ultimately there's a consequence of what you're doing. And it's yeah.
1: different, like with people in both sides. Yeah, I've seen them fasting and they. Um, gain more muscle they're thriving with that because they are getting their requisite amount of calories in that eating window they are getting the right amount but people go the other way where they're exercising faster but they're also not getting the amount of calories or protein within that small eating window that they have then they end up more fatigued losing more muscle training less and that's and that's
0: thing as well because like I say, Chris it's not a um, cookie cutter thing. It's it's something that you've got to do trial and error for yourself. So if you know that you can't put your best in and you're feeling really fatigued to hit that training at the end of your fasting, then that's not for you. Like you need to change a few things up, trial and error, give yourself a week of doing it one way, then change over and see how it goes the other way, is trying to do that for yourself and like you said, scanning and doing things, that's all information that then you can build a bit of a case study for yourself to know
2: that's what's going to benefit you. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree, mate. Uh, okay, what – I'll bring the question up. What is the importance of rest days and how often should you have them?
1: So when you think about rest days, um, really, really important, please don't underestimate them. So when we're training, we're actually playing a game of – recovery you only ever exercise to give your body the chance to recover because it's the recovery from the exercise that you have done that allows your adaptations to happen and allows your body to actually get better whether that's getting fitter, whether that's getting stronger more agile gaining muscle it's that in the recovery period that that happens. So, your rest days are also a chance for your body to completely recover itself so that then you're ready to go again. If your training is quite intense from a strength or an intensity perspective, you need rest days so that you can maintain that intensity there. If you're not taking either rest days or you're not recovering enough because we want to balance, if your exercise is here, we want your recovery to be here. We need them to be on par. If your exercise is here and your recovery is here, we're then running a risk of injury. Okay, so we need those to be level. You do that through um, a range of different ways. You can go with your rest days. You can then also make sure you're regular with massage, chiropractic, um, either one of those, depending on what works best for you, making sure you take some time to down regulate that nervous system so that can be walking, that can be meditation, yoga, anything gentle on the body. Um,
0: I think also with these rest days as well, it's another thing that you can probably touch on, uh, Chris's, is people's hydration, is if they're not hydrating themselves and keeping themselves made sure that everything's working in their body because we're just a big sponge with things transferring backwards and forwards between everything, is if that hydration is not in there, doesn't matter how many rest days you have, you will still end up feeling fatigued purely because the fact is your hydration is not up on point. So it's a big thing for hydration, as well as like cardio, and we talked about before, is stresses on the body and how you're burning and losing stuff. Is if your hydration is not there, you are not. No matter how many rest days we tell you to have, it's not going to benefit you at all.
1: No, and if you think that, even split between your movement, so your low intensity, your high intensity, everything we've talked about so far, you're going to have those lower intensity days. So your walking can be a rest day. You can go for a half an hour walk and be a rest day. However, a 5K run is not a rest day. No.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, just making sure that's your priority. We have two different camps. We have the people who would take five rest days a week if possible and we have people who struggle to take one and you're fighting an uphill battle trying to get them to not... Do intensity per day.
0: Yeah, and, and you talked about it before as well as as how you're feeling. So what happens is we get those people that go from one end of the spectrum to the other and they're actually are chasing those endorphins of what they feel when they exercise and they feel like they've smashed themselves every time and they love that feeling. So that's yeah. what they're striving for. And what actually happens is they keep striving for that every time and you've got to up the ante every time because it's harder, it's like a drug. It's still the same, it's still a fitness drug. Everyone ends up telling themselves that fitness is it's bad and it's, you know, it's hard, really hard for me to get motivated, but we have people on the spectrum that want to actually chase that drug and that feeling all the time. So the whole idea is for them is to do that, is to try and get them down-regulated because the hardest thing is everyone actually taking rest days in that camp. It's really hard to try and drive people of how they're doing it to see. And like Katie said, we're looking for that um, super compensation. So if your recovery is not on point with how it comes and bounces back, what actually happens is you keep digressing. So backwards, you're going regressing. So you're getting going backwards rather than advancing and getting that little bit better every time. Because as we've said, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Your life should end up being that Build this and keep that because if you don't use it, you lose it and the more you break it down as we get older, we need potentially more rest days in things to make sure that it can recover.
1: And what can you maintain? Like how, how do you maintain if you go and the biggest example is these four weeks, like we talked about that extrinsic motivator of like um, the cash prize. If you're exercising 50, 60 times within this four-week window, A, can you sustain that for the rest of your life? from a time perspective, but be from a body perspective. Can your body withstand that for an extended period of time? Because it's like, um, best example I can think of is food. Um, say you love chocolate cake, if that's a thing. If you ate chocolate cake three times a day for three weeks, would you ever want to eat it again? Probably not. Exercise is the same. If you exercise three times a day for the next four weeks, mm-hmm. you're almost going to have trouble looking at it. We have um, a we have someone who was a mad treadmill walker over the isolation period. Um, she was like dedicated, on point, but then it became like an outlet. So then it was three times a day, four times a day walking on the mm. treadmill. Um, they had to remove the treadmill from the garage because she couldn't even look at it after isolation. It was like a get it out of my sight. I can't look at it. I never Too want to much. touch that thing again. Mm.
2: Treadmill fatigue, mm, yeah. wow. So yeah, rest,
0: rest days are obviously very important for us. Um, it's something that sometimes we recommend. Usually, at least taking, we do a three day on, one day off. Try and do that, so it's like working out for three days in a row, and then at least having 24, 40, you know, twenty four hours off after that. So it's a lower intensity, lower impact, like Katie said, a walk or something to do that. So three days, have a rest day, see how that's going. But obviously this is also to on your volume. So if you're someone that's not exercised before this challenge and not done something that's at that level, you're gonna potentially need a few more rest days than someone that may have been doing exercise twice a week as you move through it. So it's also something that you have to play with. And as you increase your volume, that's where you can start seeing and playing that game by yourself is do I need potentially a less rest day? So I don't need two rest days this week. I need one. Because I've handled the volume, my body's adapting, I'm going okay, I'm not feeling sore. Um, And the whole idea is everyone looks for that post-exercise soreness the day after as far as that, what they put in, as how much effort they have put in the day before. Um, but that shouldn't be. The whole idea is that we're not chasing that. The whole idea is for us to keep you just at the bottom of that so we don't want you to get up the next day and feel absolutely smashed so you can't do anymore because you're not going to do anything. And you're not gonna end up wanting to come back into the gym or going to do whatever you want. So if we pushed you so hard that you're so sore, wanted to vomit, wanted to do everything else while you were working out, that's not where we want you to be. We wanna keep that behind that so that the next day you're able to potentially take a little more stress. We're keeping, we're playing a game with that on and off. So we're just trying to make sure. So if you come in and you know you're going to see someone and work out at a gym, and you come in on one day and say, that workout yesterday really smashed me and I'm really sore today, then that's the time to tell your trainer or tell your coach to say, hey, yesterday's workout really hurt me or I'm really struggling with it, is to then today to know that we can back that off because that was too much volume for you.
1: You overdid it a little, so now you know where that limit is mm-hmm. because of, like when you're sore, you're not, you're not chasing being sore. That's not the game in any way. Um, You want to, like Ben said, just hover a little bit. Below. So that's the
0: game we want to play. And if you're not communicating that with the person that's training either with you or training you or you're doing it, then it's really hard to try and play that because you're going to end up taking more rest days, more time off because Mm -hmm. you're sore. And if we're out of the game, we're not improving. We're sitting on the sideline.
1: Yeah, there's this whole mental thing of I need to be sore to progress. Like Sore? I'm getting better. That soreness doesn't mean you're getting better. It you know, means that you've
2: taken like a that.
1: step too far. You've broken it down a step too far, and you're probably going to take a step back as like a your body's punishing you for pushing it that far. We don't want to push it that far. If you're sore, it's like, whoop we've reached that height. That's really good data for us. Go, okay, we're not going to do that next time. We're going to step it back. And then mm-hmm. next time we step up, you should be okay.
2: So that, that must be a really hard thing for you guys to overcome because, I mean, that's what's drilled into us, isn't it? No pain, no gain. you got to gotta just belt yourself, belt yourself, belt yourself.
0: And the thing is is also as well, Chris, is we see things in our life as stresses as like a glass of water, like a couple of glasses of water. So we've got like our emotional, our physical and our mental. And what actually happens with that is you've ended up, if one glass ends up too full, then obviously it's going to overflow. So if you've got nowhere for the water or anything to flow through, go into the next one, you're already full. So we can't end up taking you and putting more stress on you physically, if emotionally and mentally you're struggling in your life. So if you're struggling with that stuff and that's really, you know, like with sleep um, and your nutrition and stuff like that, if that's too much for you and we go and put more stress on you throughout physical, that's when we have a heightened chance of injury. So we end up finding people waking up and and we always, everyone's a laugh and I know we laugh at it at work sometimes, is once you get over 40, if you roll over in bed and get out, wake up in the morning, you think you may have breathed wrong and suddenly you've got a sore hip or something, you know, it's being sore for the no apparent reason, I don't know why it was. And sometimes when all those cups are full and we end up keep trying to put more water, you know, pour more on stress onto it, it ends up being too much. And the smallest injury as the straw that broke the camel's back, bending down to pick up the kid's Lego off the ground or something, next thing our back goes, it's suddenly because I've got so much going on and you can usually track it back that you've had so much stress at a particular time doing something and had your mind on other things and suddenly you've had something happen. So it's a
2: chance for you to take a step back and see where you're at. Mate, it happened to me before I was 40. <laughs> you, you've just described the last couple of years for me. Uh, I only turned 40 this year, so. definitely
1: <laughs> yeah, before turning 40 that did it, though, it was what you did in leading up to being 40 that did it. Did you look after your body before that or did you trash your body and start looking after it at 38 and go, why aren't you doing this for me?
2: Exactly, yep. Yes, no, I didn't look after it. I needed to talk to you guys years ago. Um all right. How long should you do a hit training session for? Oh, so
0: the biggest thing with these is, and you probably know as well, is how long your nervous system can actually sustain this stuff for. So when you're stressing your body in that um, high-intensity interval training, we're looking, it starts to shut down around that 45 minutes to an hour that's that's a fair bit of time for our nervous system to be heightened and be actually looking at that contraction and and um and how our body's brain is connecting and making sure all those coordination things are happening. So we want to make sure that we're trying to keep those under those 60 minutes. So that 45 to 60 is. Is as long as we really want to be pushing this for. We see people in the gym for 60, you know, two hours sometimes. Like, okay, mm-hmm. you Katie, know, i talked about before sometimes, but you can actually probably break that down to time as far as how much is productive and how much is just us wasting time. Um, mm-hmm. the big thing is with this, as we talked about here, uh, training before is you're looking for repeatability and that high heart rate, then that recovery. So actually getting short spurts of high, um, output to longer spurts of rest to make sure that you're getting that fluctuations through that heart rate to be able to bring it back down. A biggest thing sometimes is if you were to hop on a, um, uh, an assault bike or an air bike, if everyone knows what they are, is to jump on that and do an all-out 30-second sprint and probably really feel like you're going to die. Um, a big thing is to think about there is if you can't you can't do your next 30-second sprint to make the highest output for you, until your heart rate comes down to around 100 or below 100 beats a minute. If you were to work that and make sure that you are able to see that fluctuation happening, um, that's a good uh, good tracking. But the thing is, is you're not going to be able to maintain that for. 30 minutes, you're going to struggle to do that. So the whole idea with this is high intensity interval training is supposed to be kept short as well. Short spurts of exercise to make sure it's repeatable in that 45 or 60 minutes swapping between different things. By all means, that's the whole idea of it is to stress different stuff, but it shouldn't be longer than 45 to an hour. That's why you'll see all that stuff is like 45 minutes, F45, all the other stuff that we end up seeing. The model has been based around their data of showing how much time people can stay engaged and how much time people actually can benefit from and where you're playing. This extra time is actually of no benefit to see any results.
1: Yeah, and so for that, high intensity can be anywhere from that four to 45 minutes. Um, so the, again, the amount of time that you can sustain that high intensity for. So you could do a four minute workout as fast as you can, as many reps as you can, four minutes. And that four minutes is going to make you feel exactly how a 60 minute longer workout would make you feel. So we're chasing intensity there. So whether you're doing intervals, um, high intensity interval training, whether you're doing those short bursts, you need to be able to fully recover and you need to be able to hit that higher level of intensity. As soon as you can't hit that higher level of intensity, if you have the choice, cut it. You're not aiming to get to 60 minutes. It's not going to help you because if you're trying to work at that super high intensity while you're under fatigue and it's not going to happen for you, then you're running the risk of injuring yourself as well. So you only want it to be, while well, you can maintain form, you can maintain positioning, and your nervous system can cope with it and it can function.
0: Because otherwise what we're looking for is that. We're looking for that called sprints of exercise or output because what happens is we're doing it for a long period of time. People stay in that and you're never doing it. We get very good at staying moderate and mediocre. So uh, we get very good at being able to sustain mm-hmm. as aerobically as far as what we're able to just we know we've got 60 minutes or so long from it is not to put as much effort in for that time on to maximize that time when i recover because i'm not going in that high threshold so the whole idea is the systems and what you're looking for to work is that we're not looking for a moderate and just everyone to keep a long sustained 60 minute run we're actually looking for high intensity so the whole idea of high intensity interval training is high intensity so we're looking for that high heart rate Bring it back down. Interval, time on, time off.
1: And it's uncomfortable. It's like, pain as it's well. It's pain, yeah. Interval, like actual interval training is doing hard. It correctly. Yeah, you're meant to go as fast as you can, as hard as you can in an interval. It's not going to be a very comfortable time for you and you're going to feel like you need that rest. Yep. If you do it and you're going to moderate intensity, you're not going to feel like you need rest. If you ever feel like, oh, this rest is probably a little bit long, like I could have gone two minutes ago, you didn't go intense enough like that. Yeah, you didn't get uh, it. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, I, did, I didn't know that about the 40, 40 45 minutes. I, um, that makes sense now because like, they all seem to be, yeah know, around that, don't they, that length? Right. Um. All right. This one here isn't so much an exercise question, but uh, how do you not be tempted when dining out at a friend's house? Um, this one I think is very, very similar to
1: one we answered at the start with your motivation. Um. If we go into the reason why first, if you have your solid reason why and your purpose behind what you're doing, um, that is very helpful for you. In terms of kilojoules, um, so you've got people tracking on Easy Diet Diary, hey, Chris, for the most part.
2: Well, we suggest it, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So with that there, if you have, say, 6,000 kilojoules that you can have in a day, then what you might do is still make sure that you're eating throughout the day. You just prioritize that you're probably going to have a few more kilojoules that night than maybe you would if you were eating at home. So you just allocate those kilojoules to that night and then you use the remainder throughout your day. Um, If you're not tracking, that's okay too. Have a small meal before you go, so something small with a balance of your protein, your carbs and your fat before you go, and we find that this helps people curb um, those cravings a lot when they are dining out or at a friend's house and they can make the best choice possible there because they're starving. If you think you're going to eat more at night, so you starve yourself all throughout the day and you're like, I'm just not going to eat because I'm going out tonight, you're going to end up overindulging and you might eat your five or 6,000 kilojoules in that meal. Like, you'll eat that a lot between food and drink. You're going to consume that all at one time. So make sure you're consistently eating like you talk about with your volume of food and the weight in your stomach. Make sure you have that whole volume of food throughout the day. And again, volume before you go. And that way you're not going to be like you're starving and you need to eat anything that's right in front of you.
2: Yeah, that's great advice because you see that all the time. People are like, oh, I'm just not going to eat today. And then the problem is the food that is typically on offer is so energy dense that you don't need to eat much of it before it blows your numbers up. And because you're starving, you, you're destined to overeat. I, I mean, I would answer this question with a couple points. Like, one, how often are you doing this? Because if this is one meal a week and the rest of your week's pretty good, yes, be as good as you can, but – yeah you know, also don't lose sleep. like you know, okay let, let's say you're aiming for five thousand kilojoules and you maintain at eight, then there's a, there's a three thousand kilojoule deficit there most days, right? So if you do that for six days a week, there's eighteen thousand kilojoules you're in deficit and then let's say you go to your friends and you eat eleven thousand, you're over by three, but the rest of the week is catered to it well and truly, you know so it's it's kind of yes. Do as well as you can. Don't overindulge excessively. Do exactly what you said, Katie. Don't go there starving and, you know, you know fill your stomach up through the day. But at the same time, it's potentially one out of 30-odd meals that week. You know, don't lose sleep over it
1: you just take that guilt factor out because often what happens is like you'd see all the time, you'd starve yourself and then you eat that and then you feel guilty because you ate it and you shouldn't have and you couldn't control that because you were so hungry. So then the next day, instead of just going back to normal eating rhythms, you'll either eat less again and then overeat it another time and you get into this massive cycle of starving yourself and then eating or not eating what you should or then feeling guilty. So then you actually end up eating worse or you'll have chocolate because you're upset about what you ate yesterday Today, but now this is comforting to have chocolate
0: now and you feel totally. guilty it goes around again. And you throw it, and you throw it all in as far as you may as well give up now. You've gotten off the wagon, it's not worth it. I may as well just keep going now and go further down. The whole yeah, the, thing, you know, to make sure we get on the horse and go again.
2: That's it, They're all or none approach, isn't it? Like I've got to be perfect all the time and if I'm not it doesn't work. And it just it's not how life works. No. And yeah, I mean <laughs> Sometimes
1: the like thing,
0: Chris, as well, is, is if you go to a friend's place and you're continually the person that's no fun to be around and you're the one that brings your scales in and you say, Excuse me, there, Jenny, can I just end up putting that on my scales? And how much can I see the box of what's in there? Protein, carbon fats are in this. Suddenly you're not going out, so you don't need to worry about going to a friend's place. <laughs>
2: you're not invited, that's right. I'm
0: not going to a friend's because they're like, Oh, did you see that, Chris? He brought his scales to, me. <laughs> he to measure and weigh everything and know what he have and That cob loaf, he never touched it because we had to tell him what was in it. It's <laughs> the whole idea is that you suddenly, you've got to live. Uh, the whole idea is to this is to be maintainable. We're getting the tools to be able to do this long-term
2: i got two things I try and get people to follow. It's eat as much color at every meal as you can because at least then you've got a huge volume there and the kilojoules are going to be lower. So if you at least fill up on that food, the chances of the kilojoules being um, lower is, is much better. And the other thing is eat whatever the hell you want. Just don't eat it at home. Don't eat it at work because they're where the majority of your meals are coming from. So unless you're eating all the time at your friend's place, okay, then be aware of that. But most of your meals are going to come from home or work. If you're going out to your friends once a week, just enjoy it. Yeah, don't be a food Nazi like Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to move on to
0: our place anymore. Don't no. Nails. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's judging me. Oh, look at it. Yeah. Uh.
0: <laughs> and I can guarantee you, you can usually see those people on, at work. You roll into there in the crib room, uh, and next thing everyone sort of covers what they're eating. Look out, Ben's here outside, they're going to judge what I'm eating. Uh-huh. I don't want to be that person all the time. The whole idea is, the thing is, is, is sometimes with that it can actually be a benefit because you've now tricked to people that you're around. So the whole idea is actually tricked to them to think about what they're eating. Because yeah. you wouldn't feel like, I wouldn't totally feel bad if Chris rolled in and here I had this massive stuff with a good portion of rice and a little bit of chicken and, and I'd be like, hey, Chris, look what I'm eating. This is great. Yeah, I've got... A plate full of party pies, a bit of chocolate slice, and some jelly beans. Suddenly, I've covered what Chris can see. And <laughs> I'm not seeing what I'm eating anymore. So, it, it, the thing is, is it's in the back of my mind. I know I'm doing something wrong, but I don't know what it is. And if I see Chris, he'll on it. So, the
1: will be like walking in the shopping centre, yeah. and people will be like, "Oh my god, don't look at my trolley!" It's like we're not judging you for what's in your trolley, but then we would ask you. If this is going to be like your, if this is your day to day food at home, and you're going to feel guilty about someone seeing it, should it be something that's in there for you? And that's something that you have to evaluate. Like if you've got a party on this weekend and you've bought some chips and some soft drink and whatnot, that's fine. Like there's no judgment there at all. But if it's your weekly shop that you don't want anyone to see what's in your trolley, should you be putting those things in your trolley?
2: I, I you took the word out of my mouth, okay? Like being a dietitian, going to the supermarket is a nightmare because you run into clients and you know they're hiding their trolley and they're looking in yours. And um, but it, it's true, weight's lost at the supermarket. The battle's lost if you haven't won at the supermarket, you're definitely going to lose at home. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Okay, last question. And um, this one is for you, Katie. It says, "Hi, Katie. The cravings I get, I get when it's my monthly time of need. Are they just part of my bad habits, trying to have less of them, or is it real?" Cheers.
1: This one is obviously very individual. Lots of ladies experience different things around the time of the month, and lots of are different. Um, one thing that we find is extremely common is that people train themselves to eat bad foods as comfort foods and then that automatically comes around that time of the month as soon as you so in the days prior you might get a little bit hungry um you can get over that hunger by maybe having an extra piece of fruit in the day maybe having a protein shake even if you need to go to the extent as to having four meals in the day instead of three then that is going to help you there because all of a sudden it's better quality food and it's going to be higher volume food for you, and that's automatically going to curb that appetite for the sweet stuff that you think that you need. If you've made the habit for think about how many years this might have gone on where every month you feel like, oh, I'm in a little bit of pain or I've got some cramps or I'm lower energy or something like that, and you train yourself that as soon as that triggers, you feel like you need something sweet um and something whatever that may be for you that craving and then you give into that every single month you're training yourself as this is the time of the month when i eat this this is normal for me to eat this when it may not make you feel the way you should so the biggest thing that we would say here is track again write down how you feel if one month i would like you to trial having an extra meal or having an extra snack when you do feel more hungry or you're having something if you're having sweet cravings have a piece of fruit um, and some protein with that there so just a little bit extra calories and that's not going to do you any harm as opposed to eating a block of chocolate which will be far more calories and will do much extra harm we find people try and restrict what they're eating because I'm feeling more hungry, but, oh, I shouldn't eat that because it's going to, like, wreck all of my diet plans when realistically if you just had an extra meal, then you would curb that block of chocolate the day later. Um, Super, obviously, if you train yourself as well throughout the rest of the month, throughout the rest of the month, if you're eating sugary foods, you're going to crave them more than when you're in pain or when you have lower energy. So if every time you have low energy, you find that you turn to either chocolate or ice cream or cake or something sweet, or you go, um, you go to get a coffee and you get something out of the cabinet there as well, then all of a sudden, as soon as you're compromised in any way, at that time of the month, that's going to be the thing that you turn to. If you don't have it at any other time or you only reserve it for sometimes and you don't restrict yourself, then we find that, that those cravings aren't necessarily there as much.
2: Yeah, whatever you said, that's great. I'm not going to offer advice on this field. (laughs) I'm at risk of.
1: If you're still having issues and if it's still something after you've journaled it and you've tried it and gone through, um, we find generally walking around that time is probably really good. Exercise to take your mind off of it can help release some of that pain and therefore you don't feel the need to comfort eat. Is work with someone who is professional in this field, someone who can help you with that. Um, if you're still having those big issues then yeah definitely work with someone who this is their field and that is what they do.
2: Yeah it can, like what you said it comes back to pleasure and pain doesn't it? like when you're mm-hmm. in pain, the body wants pleasure and if you've eaten chocolate and it's worked the brain, that's conditioning your brain's going great. did that again at work last time? Yeah it releases a um,
1: hormone so you're feeling bad and then you're like oh but this makes me feel better. It only does for this long. it's so it's so short-lived.
2: Yeah, I and it, like not just for this time of the month um but for stress eating chocolate is a go-to for people and so you know typically again the best advice is to make it as hard as it as you possibly can to access it you know like it's it's like if you've got to get in the car and go to the shop to actually get some chocolate to eat it because you feel that shitty then okay you probably deserve it you know, you're probably not going to talk yourself out of it. But the thing is, if it's in your fridge, you've only got to feel this shitty, yeah. you know, like you, you can reach it pretty quick. And so that's why you've really got to try and control, um, you know, the, the environment to make it as hard as you can. But find other ways for pleasure because it's, it's that pleasure and pain balance, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And then,
0: then post it usually you see, Chris, is, is justification. Sometimes everyone's having a unified justification saying this is what makes me feel better at this time, particularly for this, this time of the month or whatever. It's a justification to tell everyone else this is what I'm going through and I justify that this is what I can do. Um, so it's making sure that you understand what it is as far as a habit and justification and you're playing the balance with yourself to justify it to everyone And else. it
1: is what you've seen, like girls see it growing up as well is whether it's their mums or their aunts or someone else, it's like I need chocolate now because it's that time and mm. that's an automatic justification. So when they grow up, they've had that for years and years and years, so what do you think their first go-to is going to be? It's like mm. it's very, very justified as a I can because. Would you justify that at any other time of the month? Probably not. Like it's not something you're gonna justify that intensely. So maybe just take that out of it and put the onus back onto yourself as to you have control over this. No one else is up there controlling you. Being like up oh, your time. This is you need to eat this now. Like it is. It is a choice.
2: Yes. All right. I, I, I've just had noticed a couple other people have got some questions. Um, hi guys. I'm doing 4,000 kilojoule diet with exercise once, once, twice a day um what do you suggest is a good start to the day with breakfast um you can go first on that one katie if you like i'll bring that up can you read that
1: 400 diets a day what do you suggest good start to the day with breakfast so if you ask so what i take from that is what do you think is a good breakfast if you're exercising one to two times a day on a 4000 kilojoule diet yeah. um as long as you have a solid protein and carb source um, pre- and post-exercise. Before exercise, limit fats. If you're looking at the breakdown, keep them small. um, They slow the processes down a little bit. Fats take a little bit longer to process. So generally we say um, for our clients, restrict um, fats just a little bit in your pre-workout meal. So maybe with your breakfast, if you're exercising after breakfast, restrict them a little bit and then still have your protein and carbs post breakfast so yeah definitely high volume like vegetables and carbs with a little bit of protein maybe pre and then yeah protein carbs post.
0: I suppose that also Chris comes to when you're actually exercising twice a day as well like where are you exercising around your breakfast or your dinner or midday or something like that as depending on what you're having in the morning because potentially if all your exercise is happening in those a.m. hours as far as before lunchtime you're probably going to need to up your carbs and stuff around those times, like to keep it fueled and probably die off a bit in the afternoon because your exercise dies away. But um yeah that's it'd probably be biggest, where is your actual exercise as well for um for
1: that. All dependent on how you feel. How do you feel? Track it, record it, um, and then try again. There's no there's no one size fits all unfortunately.
2: No I, I, I think in particular here with the 4,000 kilojoules, the the um, the question might be sort of directed to just, you know, this is really low, am I fueling enough? And, and what can get lost here is that um, people think at 4,000 kilojoules that they're going to run out of energy. But the thing to remember is fat is an energy source. The body will convert it to energy. So it's not that you ever run out of energy. You run out of a transition fuel, which is carbohydrate. So exercise will like particularly cardio. You're going to tap into your carb stores, which sit in the muscle, and if you're depleted there, then yeah, you'll run out of steam. You'll you, you'll you'll feel it. But keep in mind, it's not like the car is going to conk out completely because you've got fat being converted. Just the process to convert take, um, fat into energy just takes longer than what carbs do. And so it's more that transition fuel that you're you're lacking. If you're exercising twice a day, one, go back and watch all these videos and make sure that you're not burning yourself out. Um, but two, it's likely you'll need to top up your glycogen stores with a bit of carb in between.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Um, all right. So that is pretty good. We've got... Um, Couple of comments from Kelly there saying thank you, and someone else, um, Katie has said perfect. I have definitely trained myself to eat bad treats. Totally justified it. I can definitely change that. Thanks a million. No. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's us guys. Brilliant. Exactly. Um, yeah, thank you very much. We'll uh, we'll leave it there, and um, everyone can enjoy their Saturday afternoon. And just to remind everyone, I've got a uh, webinar tomorrow night at eight o'clock on habit. Formation, Habit, motivation. All right. I'm out. Thanks, guys. Right. Thanks, guys. See
1: ya. Thank you. Thank you, viewers, for tuning in to another episode of 360 View. You can follow us on Instagram at 360view.co to stay up to date with everything we're doing and tag us in your podcast listening. If you found value in today's episode, leave us a like, a review, and a five-star rating. If you know someone who could benefit from listening to this episode, give it a share. And if you have any questions, shoot us a DM on Instagram and we'll answer them on the show. Thanks again, viewers, and we'll chat to you in the next one.